Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Diana Wu. At Issaquah Premier Dental, Issaquah Dentist Diana Wu, DDS, provides a full range of general dentistry services to patients of all ages. Dr. Wu and her team work together to treat every patient with respect, authenticity, kindness, and compassion, along with the general and comprehensive dental care. Today, she joins us on financial flossing. Diana, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very grateful and happy to be here. Well, you have a very, very unique story that I think is uh, not common at all. So you were born in the Philippines. You grew up in the Philippines. You went to dental school in the Philippines. Then you immigrated to the United States. And the American education system said, none of that stuff you did in the Philippines counts. Start over. Tell that story. Yeah. So basically... When I came to the U.S., a lot of the credits were not transferred over. So basically, it told me you had to do all four years of undergrad and all all of dental school over again. And I said, well, let me try because to me, it didn't make sense if physics 101 there and physics 101 here should be the same. So I pretty much challenged all the, you know, whatever courses I could challenge or take a test to to basically accelerate and took all the major sciences that were required for dental school over again here in the U.S. and applied for dental school at the same time. So you were able to knock out your undergrad in the U.S., obviously through through combination of challenging things and whether it's be a CLEP test or whatever or taking courses you to take in about a year and a half. Is that right? Yeah. So a year and a summer to be exact. Okay. And then you applied to dental school and that was a little bit of a unique experience for you as well, right? Yeah, so uh, I didn't realize in the US you had to apply a year in advance. So by the time I arrived here, all the applications were already in, they were already interviewing. And by the time I was studying for the DATs, I think the first round of acceptances were already out. So basically, I was applying for the wait list at that point. But I thought to myself, you know, the process is a learning experience. The application process itself is a really long process, right? And it would be a learning experience to do it anyway, even if, you know, if even if I say didn't get in that year, I would have learned something from that experience. So I decided to just move forward with the application process while studying for DITs, while taking all the prereqs. So then you got into dental school after jumping through all the hoops they made you jump through, graduated dental school, moved back to Seattle, um, and you worked in a practice. You, You didn't own your own practice. You were an associate in a practice, correct? Yes. Yeah. So actually I did, I jumped around a little bit. So I, from Indiana, I actually did an associate trip for a year in Austin because at that time, Austin was the best city to live in and um, it was too hot for me. <laughs> so then I moved to Washington and then um, found a job here as an associate. Yeah. But your experience as an associate in Washington wasn't really a great experience, was it? No, it wasn't a great experience. And I think a lot of new grads can relate to this because, you know, as new grads don't really have a lot of experience. So then in some ways, 
you, you're kind of in this position where a lot of the corporate offices, you know, um, take that opportunity to to get new grads in. Um, my case was a little different. It wasn't quite a corporate. It was like a fusion, but it was, you know, high volume. You really had to figure out like if, you know, if you want to do good work, you you have to be able to to sleep at night and look at yourself and say you treated this patient well. You had to come up with ways on how to be efficient with your time and really see as many patients as they want you to see and they put in your schedule, right? And not only that, how they treat you, the the, the team, the patients was a whole nother thing. So well, you ended up being the highest producing dentist as an associate because you built a reputation and everyone wanted to see you and was requesting you. Is that right? Yeah. So uh for the most part. There were complaints of um, like when I would take a vacation, there would be complaints from my bosses because they said that patients would cancel their appointment because I wasn't there. And yeah, and a lot of them would come and request to only see me or prefer to see me. And because of that, you know, the ownership, uh, shall, shall we say, wasn't exactly treating you the best, basically not letting you take vacation, threatening to fire you if you took a vacation, along with other things like... Um, you know, a philosophy of not doing the work the right way. So they would have to come back and see you again. So that's just more revenue for the practice, right? Yeah. So there's definitely, there were some of that, that didn't quite sit, you know, right with me. So, so you had enough of that and you're like, okay, this is not for me. I want to start my own practice. So you started your own practice. And uh, earlier you said, um, if I'd have known how hard it was, I wouldn't have done it. And I, of course, I think that's how many things worth doing are sometimes. So talk yes. about your experience starting a practice and how grateful you are that you persevered through it. Yeah. So, you know, my position was also a little unique because I'm not from Seattle, right? So um, by the time I started a practice, I, I've only been here about three plus years. So I didn't really have roots and I didn't really know the area as well. To be honest, I selected the location based on my hobby. So I like to hike and Issaquah is a very beautiful, there's water, there's mountain. It's like close to the hiking areas. So I selected the location based on like, oh, this is where I'd want to live. Like I could drive 30 minutes and be on a hike. Right. But what I didn't realize was that area that I uh, chose was full of incredible, really good dentists. So it was, you know, if you Google dentist, you'd see a handful of five-star dentists and several that are three, two-star, you know. Issaquah is one of those rare locations where if you Google dentists, almost everybody is like four or five star. So I didn't really knew how competitive the area was that I was getting myself into. And plus I didn't have like, say family and friends that could be my first patients, you know, at the beginning when you're starting off because you, you just moved here all on your own. I had like one cousin here and his family, but um, that was pretty much it. But yeah, I mean, what people don't tell you is how hard it is to 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 build everything from scratch, from from the designing the patient experience, but most importantly, finding a team. I think that was the hardest thing that I had to go through was finding team members that really match with my values and my culture, right? Because it's easy to settle hiring, you know, with like with with with, with team members, but then, you know. And I think that was what was so challenging for me was I wasn't really willing to settle. Like if I found that that person wasn't a good fit, I'd rather find the right person now than, okay, yeah, I have help now, but it's not really a good fit. And I knew later, sooner or later, that it wasn't going to work out, right? So so with the, the shortage of staff in the area, that was really, you know, a challenging thing. But 
just all the work that you put in, um, you know, it's like a 24 seven as a business owner versus as an associate, it's a very huge change. When you're out of the office as an associate, you don't have to think much about it because you don't have patients in front of you. But as a business owner, all the work on the back end that you have to do, like trying to grow the business, trying to figure out how to create systems, how to, you know, just plan your future, basically. So there's just a lot more work involved. And um, I didn't, you know, I think I didn't know how how much work was entailed in, in the whole process. Well, you said the competition was really, really tough in Issaquah. You're now known as the best dentist in Issaquah. So how did you break through that? What's your secret? What did you do? So honestly, I don't think there's a secret to that. I think it's just treating people really well. And I think this was the reason why I wanted to start my own practice was because of the culture, right? Like I was just so tired of seeing unhappy assistants and happy employees working. And then I was also unhappy in the associateship and the bosses were unhappy too. And everybody was just like, not happy, you know? So, you know, I thought to myself, like, I wanted the beautiful practice that people could be proud to be in. I wanted to have a space that was conducive to work that, you know, it's just like the small things, right? Like say I would go to an office and the break room for the staff is not very conducive. They don't have nice amenities or nice things, you know, Um, they have plastic chairs, you know, and for me, it was like, that was one decision that I made. I said, well, you know, I want my team to feel like they really want to be here, right? Like we have a full-size fridge, a full-size microwave, like a a real wooden table and beautiful modern shake wood chairs in the break room, you know, Uh, just like, how you would want to be treated. I think that's just the, if I boil it down to one line, it would just be like, just think of it if how you would like to be treated and that's how you treat people. And I think, you know, or even if you could even treat them even better than how you'd like to be treated, that would be better. So I think, you know, what made a difference for our patients is that they not only see how I treated them, but how the team treated them because they would make comments like, oh, like, you're, you guys are like a symphony. You guys don't even talk to each other and you guys just like work well together, right? And they can sense from the team that the team actually want to do well and they actually care for the patients well. They're not just there for a paycheck, right? They actually want to do good work. They, they want to be proud of the work that they do. They want to be able to come home and say, this is the office that I work at. I want to bring my parents here and show them where I work. And these are the reviews. And if you look at our reviews, um, the reviews also have names of our team members, right? So, so that's one thing that I'm really proud of is that the patients really pick it up. It's not just me. It's like the whole team. So you really did a good job building culture because you saw the opposite of what you wanted in your previous um, places of employment. Is that correct? Yeah. So that was almost like a blessing in disguise because when I was younger, I used to think, man, like I envy a lot of my friends who just like found the perfect associateship, you know, right out of school. And I just had like a lot of like, you know, not very pleasant experiences. And I think those were actually what helped me create and build the kind of culture that I wanted, because then I saw what I didn't want, which made me realize what I wanted. And then, you know, working to get there. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Sometimes people see the end result and they think that, oh, you know, that's so great. But there really is a lot of work that took place. There was a lot of challenges, right? Like like sometimes, you know, uh, people can come and say, oh, you're so lucky that you're in this area and 
things work out or you find the right person. But what people don't see is all the hard work that went underneath it, like kind of the iceberg kind of a, it's really like an overnight success 10 years in the making or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Basically, like there's so much work. And usually I tell my friends, you know, if you if you saw how much work it really took day in and day out, you know, you you most people would would turn around in a second and not 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 go that route because you really have to persevere through it like you had said you know you just have to to stick through it because you know um it's not uncommon to have thoughts of doubt or if you did the right thing or you know why did you get yourself into something like this and and having you know just the belief and you know supportive partner that believes in you and you know these things it really helps right that it's what gets you through and and kind of helps you push on so how challenging was it to change your mindset from employee as an associate to an owner when you owned your own practice that is a great question because they don't teach you that in dental school i mean no they don't teach you anything but clinical in dental school <laughs> yes it. and Honestly, it was so hard because you come in thinking that, oh, I'm confident with my skills clinically, so you should be successful. Like you think that, oh, I should be successful because I know how to be a dentist. And then you realize that running a dental practice is a business. You're not just being a dentist, right? And so, you know, in my case, I had to learn everything from scratch because I didn't necessarily have like, you know, like, you know, I had some friends that had parents that were dentists and then they could kind of teach them, you know, some of these things. But but especially coming from a different country, I really had to learn everything on my own. But the the mindset really was just, you know, instead of just looking at yourself and how you can be a good clinician, now looking at taking care of other people, right? Because every decision I made affected all the people that I employed. Um, if I made one wrong move, it could affect, you know, their source of living and their families. And and it's a huge responsibility, right? And I take that seriously. And that's why, you know, for me, not only the team members, but the patients too, like their well-being. And and not only that, you have to make sure that overhead and you're 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 doing the right things financially because you could have the heart to try and do good dentistry, but if you can't keep your doors open. You can't do good dentistry and you can't employ all of these team members that you you enjoy working with, right? So I had to read a lot of books, self-help books and audiobooks and all those things to try and really, you know, um, grow my mindset because I didn't want to be a quote unquote boss. I wanted to be a leader. I, I wanted to to help, you know, I mean, you know, I say that now, but it took a really long time to get there. I made my own share of mistakes, right? There were a lot of things. But what I really learned was that you have to be able to learn how to take care of yourself first, because if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your team and your team can't take care of the patients, right? And Well, it's kind of like the analogy on the airplane, you know, put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put yeah. it on the person next to you. But it's really interesting yeah. that you have the perspective of almost stewardship of your employees and I don't think a lot of people have that, but you're carrying the responsibility of providing a place of employment and providing an income for your employees. So any decision you make has ripple effects. A good decision obviously can benefit them and a bad decision could substantially hurt them if things, if the practice is hurt. So I think it's a really responsible, mature way of looking at it. Yeah, I think, you know, I remember the early transition, you know, like, you know, when you're younger, people invite you out, you know, go eat out or things. And 
you know, it almost was a shift where that like, well, you know, if it's a work day the next day, I'm going to choose not to go or not to have that one glass of wine, you know, because whatever you do affects, you know, the rest of your team, right? Yeah. But I think that is probably part of the reason too, why the team in return work they're you know, really hard for the office too, and take good care of the patients because they also sense that from you. Right. So what's the one thing that you wish you knew five years ago when you, when you started your practice that you knew today, that you know today? Oh, there's so many, but um, I think that thing that I mentioned about, you know, keeping your cup full, taking care of yourself first is the most critical thing because, you know, we hear that a lot, but you have to really experience it and live it to truly understand what, what that means, you know, by, by taking care of yourself and being compassionate with yourself and, and forgiving yourself for mistakes. And, you know, because a lot of us are perfectionists, right? Like we, we have this unrealistic ideal or standard that we, we think we should be at. Right. And, and I think that can, what, what I realized was that it, that mentality projects onto other people and especially your team and then the energy carries over right so then you know what i learned was that the more i i learned how to take care of physical health mental health my own internal state uh being able to you know more forgiving myself when things are not perfect the more that translated towards my team and the more that that translated to towards them towards each other and towards dealing with patients too. And I think that that energy then creates a more, just like a, a, a more happy, I want, I don't want to say happier because, you know, it's impossible to be always happy, but um, just a more joyful, a, a better experience overall, better quality of life, you know, and where people that work together actually enjoy working together. They're not there just to be in and out, you know, they, they hang around after work, they chit chat, you know, they, they actually enjoy being with each other and working with each other and they have each other's back. So they know that I have their back and I know that they have my back. Well, I think it's really interesting. You talk about taking care of yourself because so many people become workaholics and, you know, they just live on caffeine to kind of get them through instead of actually resting and take care of themselves, which is really interesting because you had a health issue earlier this year and you had to take some time off and you have built a system, a structure, a business where it basically continued going without you being there. No phone calls, no fires to put out when you got back. So talk about the, about the peace of mind you had being able to take care of you, knowing everything is taken care of at work and they're there supporting you. And when you get back, it's just fine. Like, like nothing ever happened. Yeah. So honestly, that happened not by choice. I was almost forced to make a decision, but I cannot tell you and explain how rewarding. And it was such a rewarding and a great experience with that sense of peace that you knew that they are taking care of everything. And, and honestly, it actually even surprised me at how, how incredible and how they, they really um, stepped up and took care of the office as if it were their own, right? Everybody in the whole team, associate, you know, office manager and all the assistants. And, and um, it was, you know, I think um, it's one of those things where you, you put in the work, you don't see any of the rewards, but you just put your head in and continue doing the work. And then one day, all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, this is the result of all the work that you put in. And it's amazing because 
now you feel like you have a team that you can trust that you can help, you know, that can grow and that you, you, with or without you in the office, you knew that the office would run smoothly and take care of the patients the way as if, if you were there. Right. And they had the same, the same heart. Yeah. Well, as we wrap this up, I I always ask every um, guest what their favorite book was or what book have they read recently that they highly recommend. Uh, As I read a lot, what book are you, are you reading or have you read that you highly recommend? I am actually, I've read this before and I'm rereading it again. I've, listen to audiobooks. And actually I was just reading it this morning. It's um, Essentialism right, by Greg McEwen. I don't you know. know. I've, I've heard of it. I've seen it, but I've never read it, but you, you're a big fan. Yes. It's about doing less, but better. Like it's about boiling down to the essentials of life and really like figuring out what is noise and what is essential. Because when you have a there healthcare, so much noise in the world today. Yes. The there's there's of culture. Kind of like what you mentioned earlier, it almost became a status symbol to be busy. And oh yeah, you know, it really it's not. And the the, you know when you when you go through a health scare, you realize what matters, what's important. You know, family. You know, like not taking your health for granted. And this is part of taking care of yourself is also listening to your body because you talked about caffeination, right? We numb ourselves with caffeine and just keep drinking caffeine, but actually our body are, is telling us what we should or shouldn't do based on the responses. Right. But we don't listen to it. We just like drink more and more coffee and then just like keep going and push through it. And the next thing you know, there's like s- some health issue. And then you kind of are like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Like I need to really figure out if this is the kind of life that I want, the quality of life that I want and how I'm, I'm going to restructure this so that you, you put your time on the things that really matter to you. Like, you know, family and whatever it is that you you really value and care about. So, so yeah, I'm still working on cutting down and, but essentialism is a great book for you to, you know, for people that um, want to really not stretch themselves too thin and actually make a choice in what they want to put their energy and time in and actually do less, but better. So this is a podcast to the dental community. If there's a dentist on here or someone listening in the dental community and they're like, gosh, I really love what Dr. Ruth said today. I would love to pick her brain. How can they get in touch with you? Uh, so the best way to reach me is my email. It's at dr.wu at isakwapremierdental.com. Um, so spell that out for everybody. <laughs> that It is a mouthful. So that's dr.wu at Issaquah, I-S-S-A-Q-U-A-H, Premier, P-R-E-M-I-E-R-D-E-N-T-A-L.com. So it's the name name of the practice, IssaquahPremierDental.com. Yeah. Well, this has been a very intriguing conversation. We don't hear many stories like yours. And your perseverance and grit have definitely paid off. And by the way, those are two... uh, that's a great book right there, Grit, if you've never read that. Yes, um, Angela Duckworth, right? Yes, yeah, phenomenal book. And so uh, thank you so much for coming on today. It, it's been truly a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannon. Tune in next week for our next episode. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannon, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com.
Registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. OSJ, 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0L10073. Arkansas Insurance License Number 1613932. 2021 1195.35. Expires 423. That last part can also say 2021. 119535, expiration April 2023. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664, Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311-850-562-9075. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas Insurance License Number 1613932. California Insurance License Number 0L10073. 2022-134-496, expiration 0324. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.